If you would, continue to stand and take out your Bibles for the reading of God's Word. Context of our reading will begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 5. This is God's Word. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being burdened to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am saying but what I am doing I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which we are boasting. They are boasting. For such men are false prophets. Excuse me. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish so that I also may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Sends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again before we hear from him this morning. Our Lord and our God, we, we ask, as we do each and every week, to be granted the grace to understand, to hear, to receive your truth by the presence of your spirit, and again for me to proclaim your truth by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Amen. Satan has many means to deceive and destroy men. He appears in, obviously, the numerous vices of men, leading people into idolatry and unspeakable evil, um, deadly addictions, murder, rape, abuse, anarchy, corruption, and the list goes on. He entices people also through the lust of riches, fame, and political power generation after generation. Those are all obvious instruments of his 
to promote evil with the goal of destroying the souls of men. Now, not only does Satan emerge by way of the vices of the world, he also appears in deceitful disguise, using his favorite instruments who also appear in disguise. To the undiscerning, they emerge as messengers, as ministers and servants of righteousness, who in the name of the Lord declare lies and teach falsehood. Scripture calls them false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, the most effective instruments for the damnations, the damnation of the souls of men to eternal hell, as well as the misleading of God's people into error and heresy. Therefore, when God's work of saving grace is wrought within us, that is, by the power of regeneration, which is a miracle, you enter a lifetime of having your mind continually, what? Renewed. And thus we're commanded in Romans 12, verse 2, look at it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, again, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, all the while, beloved, all the while, look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, all the while, verse 4, look at it, destroying fortresses. That is, speculations and every lofty thought, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. By way of review, every lofty thing refers to the world of ancient warfare and signifies a tower or a raised wall. How do you break through a walled city in the first century? With a battering ram. So metaphorically speaking, it is the batter, battering ram of God's word that strikes against and destroys fortresses that is lofty, arrogant philosophies of men, the theories of finite men against the knowledge of God against the truth of the gospel of God, against the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, to destroy thoughts raised up against the knowledge of the Almighty, which means that faithful ministry of his church is twofold. It's one of building, building up men and women in Christ, and battling falsehood that is contrary to Christ. Twofold ministry, building and battling, led by men who are committed and courageous, dedicated and brave, devoted and discerning. 
Because throughout redemptive history, Satan has attacked the truth, the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ by dispatching his false prophets, false teachers, and false pastors. In our reading from Jeremiah this morning, as someone adjusts the air because people are freezing, I can see. (laughs) In our reading from Jeremiah, we saw that men came teaching a lie in the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In the New Testament, the embodiment of false teachers were the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of Israel, teachers, laboring by way of outward appearance to look so pious. They spoke much about the law, teaching the traditions of men to whom Jesus spoke his severest words. To the scribes and Pharisees, he he said to them, "Um, your father is the devil. The devil, the father of lies. Jesus taught his disciples from the outset to beware. Beware, he said, of false prophets, Again, Jesus talked so much about false prophets. Why do preachers not talk about them today? Beware of false prophets, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, Jesus said, is cut down and thrown into the fire, which means, by the way, we must judge. We must judge the message being preached. After Christ's ascension, false teachers and false prophets continued to trouble the church. In much of the epistles, right, they're taken up with addressing false doctrine. Over and over again, these false teachers who come to you in the name of Christ. In Acts 20, Paul gathers the elders of Ephesus together before he departs. Chapter 20, Acts uh, Acts 20, rather, verse 29, look at it. He said, I know, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And notice this, and from among your own selves, men will entice you. Men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So much of Paul's work and effort was spent counteracting the influence of false teachers. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been pressed into a position of having to defend himself and his apostolic call that came from Christ himself against false prophets who had crept into the church at Corinth. And friends, 
As it was in Corinth, so it is to this day. False teachers greatly trouble the church. Make no mistake about it. This very moment throughout this land, at this moment right now, people are gathered listening to them, saying amen, amen. They're being duped. So we must always be discerning, beloved, and be on the alert with regard to the characteristics of false teachers in order to be able to detect them for ourselves as well as for others, to point them out, to expose them, and to reject them and their teaching if they're not willing to repent. Amen? Now, in this passage, we are shown some discernible traits of false teachers by what they were saying, doing, and how they were acting in the church at Corinth. There are four traits. There are many more traits, but we have four listed here that characterize um, false teachers. Some are more explicit than others, but nevertheless, they're all present, okay? So the first, the first trait of a false teacher is that they are weak in doctrine and false in doctrine. False teachers are weak in doctrine and false in doctrine, so we must listen to their words very carefully. When you come here, you should listen carefully. You should test what I say in light of the Word of God. Amen? Go ahead, test it. Go home and test it. Though false teachers are very verbose, they speak many words and they're very oftentimes articulate as can be. And that combination is often how people are drawn in. Weak doctrine draws on the weak. Weak doctrine draws on the ignorant. They just don't know what they don't know. So it sounds like truth. False teachers are, are oftentimes very entertaining. Very endearing, very convincing speakers. Telling people what they want to hear. As Paul points out in 2 Timothy, those who have itching ears, they accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions. If their passion isn't Christ, if they're not dedicated to Christ, they will find teachers to scratch the itch. Notice verse 5. Paul writes, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to these most eminent apostles. If you have the ESV, it says super apostles. Remember, Paul is speaking foolishly. Okay, Go back to verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me, Corinthians, in a little foolishness. I'm going to have to spend some time um, boasting about my apostolic credentials in response to these false apostles who came into town with letters of commendation. My letter, he said, is you. 
the truth of Christ written on your hearts. So please bear with my foolishness. A little folly. Now, when he talks about super apostles or um, eminent apostles, um, that is an insulting, sarcastic reference to those he later refers to in verse 13 is pseudopostolos, which simply means false apostles. So these super apostles, these eminent ones, are the false apostles that invaded the church there. You know, we have to wonder if these false teachers actually called themselves super apostles. <laughs> which, which means exceedingly beyond measure. We're the imminent ones. Remember, they came in in Paul's absence. Paul was not in town. That's why he writes the letter. Now, Paul had asked them to bear with him because he knows that they're already bearing with false teachers. Bear with me as I remind you of my apostolic call. The, the Corinthians were very good at accepting false teachers and false gospels, as are most professing churches to this day, sadly. Sadly. Now, false teachers are not obvious at first glance. Amen? They may be humorous, intelligent, engaging, friendly, nice in many ways, but if you listen long enough, they will be known by their fruit. So we must listen. We must test what they say in light of the Word of God. Verse 6, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. Now, the false teachers, beloved, they were skilled in speech. They did this for a living. But they were not sound in biblical knowledge. The truth. True truth. Now, unskilled means a person who um, is, is like a layman, an amateur. And in context, Paul's argument, in this case, um, he confesses to be unskilled in the open forum with regard to um, rhetoric, being a polished public speaker. And in the Greco-Roman world, by way of re review again, um, traveling philosophers and rhetoricians um, impressed people with their oratory skills. They would travel around. They had mastered the art of rhetoric and public speaking. And they'd get paid for it in the open forum. People would come. They'd be drawn to listen. But the difference that Paul is pointing out here is that of entertainment up against content. With regard to entertainment, yeah, I'm unskilled, but not in knowledge. Not in knowledge, as I stand against these super apostles, these polished speakers, these entertainers. So, the entertaining speakers focused on the medium, whereas Paul focused on the message, content. 
Paul says the fundamental issue is not style. It's substance. It's always substance. Knowledge of the truth. Not my flash. Now, Paul is not saying it's okay to be boring as a speaker. Amen? Paul was anything but boring. Just go to the book of Acts and read Every time that brother preaches, he preaches with power. He was not boring. He just refused to be entertaining. He was all about substance, content, truth, because people are often swept away with rhetoric easily. Rhetoric that's not grounded in the truth. I've seen more than my fair share of um, evangelistic events geared toward reaching the youth. Young people. You'll have an afternoon full of events, music, entertainment, followed by a flashy, energetic speaker who closes out the night with very little or no substance whatsoever. Usually you hear a lot of testimony, a lot of talk about their past. And yet at the end of every night, you'll hear these words, now, For those of you who don't want to go to hell, with every eye closed and every head bowed, repeat this prayer after me. And virtually everyone, having been whipped up and excited, repeats a prayer to either receive Jesus or rededicate themselves to Jesus. The youth are excited. Their parents especially are excited. All for about two weeks. And then it's, it's, it's like the sun hitting the snow that fell overnight. There's nothing there. Why? Because it was based on rhetoric. The gospel was never really preached. You need to be saved. I never heard why I need to be saved. And saved from what? Answer, you need to be saved by God. From what? From God, for God. That's what salvation is, to be saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, for God's glory. That must be declared. Then the good news is really good. The Bible urges us over and over again to focus on content, content of the message Verse 6b, in fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Remember, Paul spent 18 months with the Corinthians, which was ample time for them to see his integrity. Trait number one, false teachers, though they speak many words very well, are weak in doctrine and in false doctrine. That's how they show up. Weak in doctrine, and they peddle false doctrine. Trait number two, verses seven through 12. False teachers are financial manipulators. Just look at their wallet, if you can ever get a glance at it. They are very taxing on the people to to which they come. They're in it for the money. These false teachers were in it for the money. They're at Corinth, these polished rhetoricians. 
And then they had the gall, notice this now, to criticize Paul for not asking for money. Notice how twisted this argument is. Verse 7. Or, did I commit a sin? Paul said, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Okay, that was another argument of theirs to, to show that Paul really wasn't qualified. He didn't take money when he spoke. Now, Every true preacher, the Bible's clear, every true preacher of the gospel is worthy of his hire. But Paul, though he was entitled to receive a salary from the church of Corinth so that he you know, could devote himself to full-time ministry, he made it a point, not in every church, but in this one in particular, not to accept a salary. Corinth. The reason? Corinth, again was filled with entertainers of oratory, of speech-making eloquence. So the primary means of entertainment in the first century, you didn't have TVs, you don't have the internet, you don't have radio, you don't have stereo, was to hear these men speak in the public square or you would go to the amphitheater. That was the entertainment of the day. So these rhetoricians would roll into town, these philosophers, and they would charge large fees for their speeches. And sometimes they would be hired by a wealthy individual to whom the speaker would be tied to the hip with. So you can imagine, the one who owns you says, here's your topic, here's your message, go do your thing. Now you're owned. Paul said, I'll have nothing to do with that. I'll preach the gospel for free. When I came to you, I did not come with worldly wisdom or polished rhetoric. I came proclaiming to you nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I'll have nothing to do with that. So instead, Paul took a day job, tent making. That was a trade he learned as a young man to support himself so that no one in Corinth could begin to question his motives. But to the Greek mind, any speaker who took a day job to support himself was obviously not a very good speaker. You see what they're doing here? So his his opponents used that as an admission that the gospel message is of little worth. We've grown beyond the gospel. You know, give me something that I can take with me for Pete's sake, or for Paul's sake, or for John's sake. Now remember, earlier Paul indicted these false teachers as those who come marketing the gospel, peddlers of the gospel. They market the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 17. Verse 8, Paul continues, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. (laughs) So the truth is, Paul does accept money from churches, in some situations, 
but he's not going to take it from the Corinthians. Verse 9, and when I was present with you and was in need, and he was in need, I was not a burden to anyone, for which the brethren came from Macedonia, those who came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, right? The, the ones that Paul robbed, using hyperbole, obviously, amen? So the churches in Macedonia, that would have been the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and the Bereans, who supported him financially while he was in Corinth. Verse 9b, and in every situation, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Now, Achaia, that's where Corinth was. Okay, and, and, and because Paul is already under great suspicion due to the false teachers, I am now, I'm still not going to take money from you. No way, no how. Why? Is it because I do not love you? Look at verse 11. God knows I do. So they, they were saying something to this effect. Paul takes money from the Macedonians. Why? Because he loves them. He doesn't take it from you Corinthians. Why? Because he doesn't love you. That's how perverted this assault had become. So being under, uh, under suspicion, it was, it was hard for Paul to prove that he really did love these Corinthians. Nevertheless, he says, he concludes, well, God knows I love you. I'll leave it with him. But, verse 12, what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. What are they boasting about? That they're true apostles. When they're liars, they're false apostles. So Paul, he will take pay in some circumstances. He does not take it here. Why? In order to separate himself from false teachers because they're in it for the money. And Paul says, I'll have nothing to do with that, even by way of appearance. I will not take a nickel from y'all. So what is happening in a 21st century scenario is that Joel Osteen, okay, Benny Hinn, or Creflo Dollar, or anyone almost that appears on TBN, by the way, the Trinity Broadcast Network, um, has come into town. And they're going to speak at Viejas Arena, but their underlying motive is to raise money for their $55 million Learjet. That's true with Creflo Dollar, by the way. A few years ago, he... He was saying to people who would come listen to him, if you sow that $300 seed, uh, God's going to multiply it uh, three times over. Uh. And a couple other false teachers were working to manipulate people to sow that seed in order to buy a 50, 60, 65 million dollar Learjet so that we can go preach Jesus to the world and make it, we can get there more swiftly. You want to be blessed? 
sow that seed. False teachers are financial manipulators. Trait number three. False teachers are ministers. Not of Christ, but of Satan. They're pastors of, of, of Satan, so you, you have to have discernment in order to see beyond the facade. Verses 13 through 15, behind the disguise of apparent teachers, preachers, and pastors is Satan himself. Verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Paul takes the gloves off here. Right? You got your boxing gloves on. You just rip them off. We're going bare knuckle. Let's roll. You love it. Love it. So he states the facts very candidly and very offensively. This is direct language, no doubt. doubt. He's saying, look, all they are is posers. They're shysters. They're con artists who, like their master, pretend to be something they are not. Friends, Churches in our land this very moment are filled with them. Pulpits throughout this land. Although most of them don't have pulpits because that's too authoritative. It's too offensive. So let's get one that's plexiglass because we appear to be transparent. Or maybe a diamond plate music stand to look cool. Pulpits are very biblical, wooden ones. Nehemiah 8, they built a platform, a pulpit, above the people. Why? To bring the word of God to the people. It's not the preacher who stands above the people. It's the word that comes down to us. That's what this is symbolic of. That's all it is. This has nothing to do with the man. It has everything to do with the word of God. Paul is straightforward in warning them about the deceitfulness of these false teachers. Why? Because the gospel's at stake, beloved. The gospel is at stake, as well as the spiritual well-being of God's people. Paul's concerned about that because God's concerned about that. You don't mess with the Lord's church. When Saul was persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison, having them murdered, Jesus arrests him. And again, let me say this. I know I'm redundant. Was, was Paul seeking Jesus when he was Saul of Tarsus? He was just seeking Jesus. No, he wasn't. He was seeking to kill the people of God. Jesus was seeking him out. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You touch my people, you touch me. Now, Jesus didn't inquire, Paul, um, um, fill out a gift sheet and see what you might like to do in the kingdom. Did he say that? No, he said, get up, go into town, it will be told you what to do. So he had to be led into town because he had been blinded by Christ. 
One named Ananias. Ananias, go to a street called Straight. There's one there by the name of Saul. He's a chosen vessel of mine. I must show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. This is part of the suffering. A true minister of the gospel. Satan never calls ahead to let you know he's coming. Okay, you think he's going to roll in the door and say, you know, full disclosure, here's my card. Will he do that? No, he's a deceiver. He, he works through deceitful, false teachers. He uses people to accomplish his purpose in very subtle ways in order to take people captive. See, the dilemma was that the Corinthians did not view the false teachers as false teachers. Such is the dilemma to this very day. Why? Because false teachers don't have false teacher tattooed over their forehead. They don't wear t-shirts or, or caps that say heretic. They come, Jesus' words, disguised in sheep's clothing to mislead God's sheep. They're servants of Satan, though they claim to serve the Most High, though they come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's infuriating. The verb translated here, disguising themselves or masquerading, signifies the idea to change the form of, to transform oneself into or as something. Disguising, masquerading. So Paul, he's not surprised because he knows that Satan also disguises himself as an angel of light. The one who's defined by darkness. Satan, the prince of darkness. Darkness in the Bible being a symbol of lies, falsehood, evil, wickedness, destruction, horror, heartache, and death. Darkness, disguised as an angel of light. That's what religion is, friends. Every religion in the world is a disguise. It's Satan behind it all. There's only one true religion in the world. If you want to call Christianity religion, there's only one true religion. That is biblical Christianity. Everything else behind it all is Satan masquerading as an angel of light because light draws for the most part. Though we're prone to run towards the darkness. That's why it's a great cover. He's been disguising himself from the beginning. Satan disguised himself in the Garden of Eden as an animal. How brilliant is that? as one of the creatures over whom Adam had dominion, as I said last Lord's Day, Adam should have ordered him out of the garden because all dominion had been given to Adam over every living creature. So he disguises himself uh, by way of this animal and speaks to Eve and says, go ahead and eat of it. See, God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be what? Like God, knowing good and 
evil. Eve is like, evil? What's evil? Tempting Eve with an imagination that was ungodly. He came to Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan himself and he tried to avert, to, to, to divert rather, the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. All authority, look at, he, in a moment of time, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, all this authority and all this glory I will give to you if you bow down and worship me for it has all been delivered up to me. Who delivered it up to him? Adam. Dominion was given to Adam. He delivered it up to Satan. I give it to whomever I please, he said. And then Satan disguised himself by quoting and twisting scripture to the Lord himself, taking Psalm 91 and twisting it. That, by the way, friends, twisting scripture is a classic tool of false teachers. You find me anyone who claims to be a Christian who sits under false teachers, they don't, know, they don't know the meaning of Scripture. Or they wouldn't be there. So Satan leads Jesus to a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Prove it. For it is written. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Dark. Now, unlike Adam in the garden, unlike Israel in the wilderness, Jesus underwent the temptation and refused to be diverted. He set his face. He got up. He set his face towards Jerusalem where he would falsely be accused beaten, scourged, and then he would bear his own cross into the darkness and shame of Golgotha. Up to Calvary's hill, he would take upon himself the sins and the guilt of his bride. On the cross, he would be crushed by the Father, as prophesied in Isaiah, it pleased the Father to crush the Son, and he paid in full the debt that we owe, giving himself up freely. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Having been raised triumphantly and ascending to the Father gloriously, he now rules and reigns from, from, from heaven and will one day return to judge the living and the dead. He will then destroy all sin, all evil, and Satan, where then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. Amen. Friends, that's the gospel, and therefore, no alternative, no, no alternative gospel will do. They were peddling another gospel. There is no new age Jesus, friends. He's a freak. He's a liar. There's no political Jesus. There, there is no uh, cultural talking points Jesus. 
They're false Jesuses. They do not exist. They are, verse 4, another Jesus, another gospel that comes by way of another spirit. We understand? What I just said is the gospel in a nutshell. Only the message of Christ and him crucified for us can change hearts, to transform a man or woman's soul, can renew our minds. If you're not in him, flee to him right now. Run to him, repent, receive him, trust in him completely and fully for your salvation. Do not delay because this may be the last day. Don't play. Repent. Verse 15. Paul ends this section, notice, by saying that false teachers, their end will be according to their deeds. We could spend the rest of the day on that. Their end will be according to their deeds. You, you mislead God's people. You misrepresent Christ. There's a deep place in hell for you. Because, fourth trait, fourth trait, verses 16 to 20, false teachers bring people into spiritual bondage. So you have to look at their works. Look at their works. Another characteristic that disguises false teachers is deceit, manipulation, and abuse. Look at verse 16. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I am saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, okay, now listen to this. You, church, Corinth, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. Remember they had people dancing around like lunatics during the service, you know, uh, misrepresenting Christ at the Lord's table, getting drunk, pretending to speak tongues, and it was just a bunch of gibberish. Remember all that? You tolerate the foolish gladly. You tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone who hits you in the face. (laughs) Wow. Verse 20, look, you you tolerate anyone. Look, Corinthians, anyone who shows up, you just embrace them. They're coming in the name of the Lord, you just hug them. You don't test them. They enslave you, it's okay with you. They devour you, no problem. They take advantage of you, okay. And then they hit you in the face. You tolerate this. Now, they had probably introduced some form of legalism some form of works righteousness, which all false religions have, by the way. Seducing some away from freedom in Christ. You're free in Christ. So the Judaizers come into town and say, well, the gospel, yes, but the gospel's not enough. We need to add some old covenant ceremonial laws to that. Um, There's certain foods, you know, you can't eat. Lie. And um, circumcision, sign of the covenant. Oh, yeah. Lie, lie, lie. Works righteousness. And then he says, and they devour you. Or they prey on you. The idea is like a a wild animal, animal just praying, wanting to pounce on you. And what's in mind here is probably 
Luke chapter 20, verse 47, where Jesus talks about the Pharisees. He points them out. He says, look at them. You know what they do? They devour widows' houses, which means they work to take all their money. Remember that part of Scripture? And then Jesus is sitting down against a wall, and he sees a woman bring two, her two last pennies. He says, look at that. Notice, the Pharisees, they come in, they pour their vessels of coins in for everyone to see and everyone to hear. They give all out of their abundance. This woman has given her last two cents. Okay, now that lesson had nothing to do about that woman's giving. That lesson had everything to do with the Pharisees stealing. You understand? You're not called to give everything you have. They convinced these widows to give everything that they have. And they'll take it for themselves. They devour. They steal your money. They steal your freedom. They take advantage of you. They catch you like a fish in their net. And they want to lord it over you. And you just receive them. Oh, congratulations, Corinthians. That's how sarcastic he's being. Should we not be on the lookout? And then they go so far as to hit you in the face. Now, that could mean that they physically abused the Corinthians. You know, you hit someone on the right cheek, that means you have to backhand them. Because the idea is you're, getting, you're being hit from a right-handed person. So to hit them on the right cheek, boom, you backhand them. As they did to Jesus, the Sanhedrin, and as they did to Paul. Now, here it's more likely that he speaks um, in a metaphoric sense because to be slapped in the face like that was a sign of disrespect and contempt. So perhaps these false teachers rolled into town and they were shaming the Corinthians that perhaps when one of them stood up and says, you know what, that doesn't sound right. Shame on you, you fool. Do you not know who we are? Remember our letters of commendation? Sit down and shut up. Right? Right? manipulators. Yet, nevertheless, notice, Paul points out here, it is much the fault of those who allow it to happen as it is the ones who are making it happen. He said, and you tolerate it. Tolerate it. It's just as much their fault as it is the fault of the heretic. Again, James 3, beware that many of you become teachers knowing that we will receive a stricter Judgment. False teachers who bring people into spiritual bondage, they would have no following whatsoever. If it weren't for fools who allow it to happen. To the many who just oblige them. So with dripping sarcasm, now notice... Paul, remember, who's been mockingly disparaged as being one who's weak. Look at his appearance. Look at how much he suffers. That guy cannot be blessed of God as much as he suffers in the name of God. He must be cursed by God. Look at how weak he is. Okay, Those have been the accusations throughout, right? So with dripping sarcasm, notice verse 21. To my shame... I must say that we have been weak by comparison. That is, I'm too weak to abuse you, 
like they have. Which proves that he really does love them. God knows that I do. Okay, so to wrap up. If you're visiting here today, we're delighted to have you. We don't preach just for 40 minutes, though. So you've got about 10 left. Okay, so how then do you distinguish a counterfeit? Well, the Secret Service, when learning how to recognize counterfeit money, it is to become so familiar with the genuine, genuine currency, that you can see a counterfeit a mile away. So too, becoming so familiar with the genuine Christ, the genuine gospel, that is, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, become familiar with his person, his work, his prophesied and fulfilled ministry, prophesied Old Testament, fulfilled New Testament, his perfect sinless life, his sacrificial atoning death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension. When you understand those things, it is much easier to recognize a false gospel presentation. Because those central truths today, friends, are oftentimes being covered up. Go into a church, just travel across the United States and just stop state to state to state and see how many churches declare that truth. Now, they may believe it, but they fear men so much they don't declare it. They ignore it. And other things take center stage, not the gospel of Jesus Christ, such as the false gospel of self-transformation led by your life coach. False gospel, false teacher. The false gospel of positive thinking. The false gospel of, of healing social problems. False gospel. Even the false gospel of family values. Family first. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing, but it's not the gospel. See, what makes other gospels so dangerous is that some of the things they offer are very beneficial. Like the family. Beneficial. Satan and his henchmen, to accomplish their work, they operate more by way of imitation than they do direct opposition. False teachers of Christ sweeten the road to hell for false professors of Christ. Broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. How many go that way, said Jesus? Many, as we stated earlier this morning. They substitute Christ for another gospel, another Jesus led by another spirit. Again, verse 4. Look at Paul's words to the church in Rome. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, notice this, I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching, teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, there it is, they deceive the hearts of the 
ignorant, the unsuspecting. They're ignorant. They're ill-equipped. They don't have the word in them to be able to recognize them. So they're swept away. Now, friends, false, false teachers, you know what they speak about? Love. They speak about happiness. They speak about brotherhood. They speak about unity. They speak about success. False teachers speak about tolerance. They come speaking smooth words. They come speaking politically correct rhetoric, but are destructive, consuming wolves who do not preach Christ and him crucified. So the, the language of Paul the language of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the truth, the truth of the gospel is an offense to that spirit. It was then and it is now. Because there's no true gospel in it. They're ministers of Satan. Now, most evangelicals would say today, they would respond to me in what I just said, they would say, that is so harsh, that is so hateful. And that's the problem. Hateful. Paul says, we got to tell it like it is. This is the truth. They're masqueraders. Why? Why is this important? Because the souls of men and women are at stake. That's why. <laughs> Go ahead and hate the messenger. Embrace the message. Christ crucified, raised again. The only way. You know, Al Mohler put it like this, quote, Today's church cannot, cannot remain faithful. If it tolerates false teachers and leaves their teachings uncorrected and unconfronted, end of quote. Any man throughout time, any man from the Apostle Paul onward, any man who has stood faithful, bold enough to proclaim these things, they're warriors for the gospel. They're zealous for the truth. They're custodians of the bride of Christ. That's what they're called to do. That's what they're called to be. And they have and they will be hated and reviled by the world. You know who else will revile and hate them? The worldly church. People who actually proclaim to be Christians, but they're in a worldly church. I'll say that is hate speech. No, that's love speech. Don't you know Paul said, I love you? You don't believe it, but the Lord knows I do. So some acid tests of a true preacher of the gospel. Number one, do they affirm and proclaim the fundamental problem with humanity? Do they proclaim, do they affirm the fundamental problem with humanity? It's not society. It's not a breakdown of the family. It's not systemic racism. It's sin, capital S-I-N. A true preacher calls sin, sin. So he doesn't resort to a social gospel message because that's not the gospel. And do they proclaim Christ as the only solution to that problem? Christ crucified, raised again. So the message proclaimed is the depths of human sin and the greatness of God's grace. That's the message. He came to do for us what we cannot in ourselves do. And if you think you can do it, you are as lost as the day is long. And you're self-righteous. 
Again, the epitome of self-righteousness is to dare think for a moment. If you were asked, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they answer, yes. Why do you think so? Because I'm a good person. That's self-righteousness. You're doomed. Only he can regenerate a stony heart by way of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why, friends, we need to devote ourselves to learning the truth so that we're not deceived in the midst of a world full of deception. So if we're not learning this truth, we will, you will, inevitably pick up error from this pagan culture. And then you'll try to mesh it with the gospel. And it gets really messy from there. I've heard professing Christians parroting politically correct talking points that are popular today. They're just cowards crumbling under cultural pressure. Or they're just totally ignorant. I I hear those who are lending an ear to those who who mutter um, Marxist slogans and they call themselves Christians. They're duped. They're being duped. So we're all being discipled, amen? I'm done in one minute. We're all being discipled. Nobody was looking at their watch. It's just, (laughs) this is heavy. We're all being discipled. The question is by whom? By whom are we being discipled? Which Jesus, which gospel are we learning? Again, verse 4. There's different Jesus, there's different gospel, and there's a different spirit. So we must listen, amen? We must listen. This is not a time to be fooled by weak doctrine or by false doctrine. We must look. We must discern. This is not a time to be naive about money makers in the ministry. Nor is it a time to be sentimental about tolerance. We live in a day of the intolerance of intolerance. Amen? Intolerance of Intolerance, a book written by D.A. Carson. (laughs) It's no time to be gullible. So to to protect ourselves and others from this, we must know the truth. We must know the true truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we can expose and reject false teachers that come into the church. So Paul has sternly warned us. It is no surprise, false teachers have already come, they will come, it's not a matter of if, but when. So may we stand on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ victoriously, because the victory is his. The gospel is ours to embrace and to walk in by faith for his glory and the good of the church. Amen? Father, we do thank you for the gospel, we do thank you. Uh, for the troubles that Paul faced so that we would have these truths revealed to us. Lord, I I do pray that uh, we will always remember that we are weak, helpless, and senseless in and of ourselves. But you have condescended to reveal yourself um, in time and space and to give us your word, the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, and this, the word, your word, divine revelation granted to those who've been given eyes to see. Help us to walk strongly, not in our own strength, but yours, for the glory of the name of all names, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.